Hey, welcome to those of you who are joining us online on ABC6. Welcome to the hundreds of prisons in 42 states, more than 450,000 men and women behind bars. Come on, have access to this service every single week. So welcome to you. Nursing homes across the state. We've even got some Rock City staff in the house. Come on, team, make some noise. You're not seen, but you're heard and you're felt. Glad you're here. Well, what an incredible opportunity we have to study the Word of God together, especially for those who are participating in these 40 days of prayer and fasting. And if you are participating, you must know we are 12 days in. I'm, I'm 12 days more the man that I know God created me to be. I'm 12 days more the man I hope to be. Because fasting is when I deny my flesh what it wants so I can fill my spirit with what it needs. And we're 12 days in. We're, we're seeking the Lord on behalf of this church and our city and this nation, the world. And we've got 28 days to go. Who's counting? Anybody counting? 28 days to go. But I hope you're doing well. Today we're going to continue the series we've been in now for five weeks. This is the fifth statement of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He starts this most famous sermon with eight statements. We're taking one week to cover each of these eight statements, often referred to as the Beatitudes. Now, Jesus was an incredible teacher. Obviously, he was more than a teacher, but Jesus knew how to teach. And one of his teaching methods was Jesus would draw comparison on regular basis between man's way and God's way. He would say things like this. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I've not called you just to that. I've called you to this because I tell you that even if you hate a brother or a sister in your heart, you're no different than a person who murders. He would say things like, you, you see how the religious pray and, and, and how the religious fast. They, they do so to, to, to be seen by men. And, and I'm, I've not called you to that. I've called you to this. When you pray and when you fast, just do it in secret and know that your heavenly Father sees everything done in secret and he will reward you openly. The disciples were arguing one day, Jesus, which one of us will be seated at the right hand and at, at, at your left hand? And, and Jesus sort of looks at them and just shakes his head. He, he's like, gentlemen, you're missing the point. It's not about who's going to be the greatest among us. Let, let, let's not see who can be the greatest among us. It's not that, it's this. If you want to be first, be last. If you want to be great, then humble yourself and serve. I've, I've not called you to that. I've called you to this, to be like this, to be like me. When it comes to these statements, I don't know if there's an eight-part passage of scripture better equipped that will help us be more like Jesus than these. If you want to be blessed like Jesus, you want to have influence like Jesus, you want to be a kingdom builder like Jesus, a difference maker like Jesus, here's what he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who understand their own sin and, and, and their, their need for God, you acknowledge you're sinful, you need the Lord, and blessed are those who mourn. Because it's not just enough to acknowledge your sin. Does your heart break for what breaks the heart of God? 
Do you mourn not just for your own sin, but for the sin of all the world around you, the suffering that sin has caused, the sickness and the injustice that sin has caused? Jesus said, blessed are the meek, those who have a right view of themselves. Because you're aware of your own sin, you tend to be more gracious toward those around you. And instead of throwing stones like everybody else, you mourn the brokenness and the suffering the corruption and the confusion, the lostness of the world around you. You're not better than anybody and you know it. You've just been forgiven, saved by Jesus Christ and you want more than anything for those around you to experience the same saving power of Jesus that you have, amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's this desire of not only personally being set free once and for all, to see all the world around us restored, made new. It's desiring God first. It's seeking his kingdom first. It's right standing, right living, honoring God with every step. Those first four that we've covered in weeks past specifically deal with our relationship to the Father. It impacts our relationship with one another, but it, it deals specifically with our relationship to the Father. These next four, there's a shift. Beginning in verse 7, the one we'll study today. These speak specifically toward our relationship with one another. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. How about where you are? You just read this out loud with me. Staff in the room, if you're watching in a prison, if you're at a nursing home, if you're online, if you're on a treadmill, I don't care where you are. How about you just say this out loud right now? Ready? Go. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy one more time blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy lord would you open our eyes that we might see your word today open our ears that we would hear and receive what you have to say to your church may we be merciful always day by day and step by step as you lord have been so good and merciful towards us. It is in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is the law of direct return at work. What you give, you get. What you put in, you get back. If you're merciful, You'll be shown mercy. But if you're critical and judgmental and you're unfriendly, don't be surprised if that's what you get right back. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, this seems at first reading like a simple, straightforward statement by Jesus. But understand, when he said this, this was during the height of the Roman Empire which would have meant this statement was absolutely a radical statement. Because those hearing Jesus would have said something like this, Jesus, don't you know where we are, that we're living in perhaps the most merciless empire that's ever existed? Jesus, don't you know that those who show mercy get taken advantage of? Don't you know People who are merciful rarely, if ever, win. 
Besides that, Jesus, is injustice a whole lot more attractive? An eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, insult for insult, punch for punch. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You threaten me, I'll threaten you. And Jesus just stops them. No, 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 I've not called you to that. I've called you to this. Blessed are the merciful, the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So what is mercy? Mercy is love in action. It is both an attitude and an action. Matter of fact, more than 100 times in the Old Testament alone, the Bible says God is merciful toward you, but understand it is love in action. It's not just feeling sorry for somebody. It's, it's not just acknowledging that somebody has pain or somebody has a need. It's, it's not just saying, I know you hurt. There's a much deeper meaning to this word. Matter of fact, if you follow this word from the Greek into the original Hebrew that it was first given in, it, it means to literally get inside a person's skin so that you can feel what they feel. You can see through their eyes. You can think with their mind. You can feel with their hands and with their heart. Walt Whitman, an American poet who lived in the 1800s, he said this, when I see a man in pain, I don't ask him how he feels. I become that man. That's what mercy is. Sounds a whole lot like somebody else I know, the one who said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider quality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness. He was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's 1 John 1, 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. In other words, if anybody can preach this message, it is Jesus. Mercy isn't just that you you heard in your heart when somebody else hurts. It's, it's not just talking about how much you care about the pain in the world around you. It is carrying each other's burdens. And when you carry each other's burdens, it is in this way that you and I, we fulfill the law of Christ. And we put on the skin of another so we can see through their eyes and feel what their heart feels just like Jesus did for you and for me. So what does it mean to be merciful? Number one, it means to be patient with everyone. It means to be patient with everyone. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 14, it says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, and we warn, we warn those who are idle, which means uninvolved. Your heart hurts from the sideline, but sideline heartaches don't help anybody. Come on, church. Sideline heartache doesn't help anybody. 
It's what a German Lutheran pastor said after World War II. He said, first they came for the Jews, but I didn't speak out because I'm not a Jew. And then they came for the socialists, but I didn't speak out because I'm not a socialist. And then they came for the communists, but I did not speak out because I'm not a communist. So when they came for me, there was nobody left to speak for me. Idle, sidelined faith. Oh, but I feel it in my heart. Listen, that's not mercy. You don't feel mercy. You do mercy. You show mercy. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. You ever notice how some people it's easier to be patient with than others? Come on, some, like, some people just test your patience more than others. Some people are just in general easier to live with than others. And yet the word of the Lord to us is this. If it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Accept one another. Romans 15, 7. Which one? One another. I know, but which one? That one. Well, him or her? Them or, or they? Yes. Accept one another. Just as Christ accepted you. Now, here's the church. Yeah, but you don't understand that person. Oh, really? Like I didn't make them? Yeah, but you don't understand how sinful they are. You, you really want to talk about sin? Yeah, but see, they wear their sin on their sleeves. Well, I'm not asking you to accept one another's sin. I'm asking you to accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Accept one another. Besides, you didn't get clean before you came to Christ. You came to Christ to get clean. Come on, somebody. You, you, you don't put yourself together so you can enter the presence of, of, of the Lord. You, you enter the presence of the Lord so that he can put you back together. You don't make yourself right to, to walk into his presence. You walk into his presence so that he can make you right. Here's the word of the Lord to us. Accept one another. God has been good and, and God has been gracious to all of us. He's given us his word and it's our job to follow his word and honor his word. Even in an election year. Even in the midst of a global pandemic. Even when people target you for what you believe, when you hold to his word as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Besides, God is patient with you and me. God is patient with you, not wanting anybody to perish. Now, I've always wondered, like, why did God have to add that last part, not wanting anybody to perish? Why couldn't you just have stopped with God is patient with you? And then I got to thinking about it. You ever had somebody get under your skin, like really get under your skin and test your patience? And you just wanted to see a Mack truck roll them over, just run them over, just take them out right then and there. Imagine being God who sees everything you do and knows every thought you think, and he's actually got the power, come on, somebody, to make a Mack truck appear whenever he wants to. Maybe it's just the Lord reminding himself, I don't want anybody to perish. I don't want anybody to perish. I don't want anybody to perish. Or maybe that's just me project projecting on to the Lord, which 
Come on, somebody. Thank God I'm not God, and thank God you're not God. Thank God God is better than every single one of us. Come on, church. He's better. He's good. He's gracious. He's full of mercy. Extending mercy means being patient, not, not just toward those who it's easy to be patient towards. It's being patient with those who are not so easy to be patient with. It means forgiving others as we have been forgiven. And here's the deal with forgiveness. Forgiveness always feels good, and it always feels right when we're the ones that need it. When I need it, it feels right to receive it. It feels like it's the, the good thing to do. Go ahead and forgive me. But when I have to give it to somebody else who doesn't deserve it, that's when forgiveness starts to feel wrong. That's when it starts to hurt. That's when it doesn't feel too good. When we're criticized, we would prefer to criticize back. When we're hurt, we would prefer to hurt back instead of forgiveness. What we want more than anything is justice. It's like the, the lady who had her picture taken by a photographer. She brought her picture back to the photographer. She said, this picture doesn't do me justice. And the photographer looked at this lady and he said real kindly, lady, you don't need justice. You need mercy. Come on, somebody. <laughs> See, I think that was funny. That's a pastor joke. Build one another up. And forgive whatever grievance you have against one another. But, Lord, you, do you understand my grievance? Oh, I understand your grievance. And I'm just telling you, whatever grievance you have, forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anybody who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, you might be struggling today with this message because I can't give what I don't have to give. I, I can't give mercy if I've not first received mercy. It's hard for me to forgive others if I've not first been forgiven of my own sin. How can I forgive somebody their sin against me if I've not experienced the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus when it comes to all of my sin? So if you're struggling today, let me encourage you. It's, it's, it's okay to struggle with this. I understand the struggle when it comes to this, but when you've personally encountered the living God who loves you, who gave his life for you to save you, to set you free, to forgive you of all the sin of all your life, once you realize how you've been forgiven by God, it is a whole lot easier, not easy, but easier to begin to forgive others when they sin against you. Here's the third thing. What is mercy? Mercy is helping people who are hurting and in need. It's not just feeling sorry for somebody. It's not, well, don't we feel sad for that poor family over there? They've got nothing while we retreat to the comfort of our beautiful, luxurious home and our luxury vehicle and turn on that 85 inch flat screen TV and never think about that family again, let alone lift our hand to do anything to help them. If your faith isn't helping anybody, it's not faith. If your faith isn't making a difference in the world around you, it's not faith. If your faith isn't moving the kingdom of heaven forward, it's not faith. If you're not advancing the cause of Christ with generosity and kingdom first selflessness, it's not faith. What is faith? If it has absolutely no bearing, no impact whatsoever on anybody 
besides you. It's not faith. It is a cheap imitation, a knockoff faith. It's a $30 pair of Jordans, imitation brand that are Chinese made that are going to wear out after you wear them three times because it's not the real thing. And if your faith isn't making a difference in the life of anybody but you, it's not the real thing. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But if somebody who is supposed to be a Christian has money enough to live well and sees a brother in need and won't help him, how can God's love be in him? Little children, let us stop just saying that we love people, but let us really love them and show it by our actions. If your faith is in making heaven full, it is an imitation knockoff faith. Biggest issue, one of the biggest issues I think in, in modern Christianity is we, we think of faith as it's a, it's a personal, private matter. But I'm telling you, if you're living real faith, if you're following Jesus, if, if people can't tell that you're following Jesus by the way that you live your life, in this world, in this world, when you follow Jesus, you will stand out like an Eskimo on a South Florida beach. Come on, somebody, like a pregnant pole vaulter. You will stand out. And I've got a whole bunch more, but they get worse from this point on, so I'm going to stop it right there with the pregnant pole vaulter. But you get the picture. If you're following Jesus, if you're living real faith in this world, in 2020, in this climate, in this culture, if you're following Jesus, and you're living real faith, I'm telling you, you're going to stand out. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Man is on the side of the road. He needs help. He's desperate. He's dying. Two men pass him by, a pastor and a worship leader. And they do nothing to help his need. And then Jesus comes up with the one person that, that everybody listening to Jesus tell the story would think is the last person they'd ever see inside of a church. And Jesus says, that's the one who stops and helps this man in need. And that man right there looks a whole lot more like me than most my church does a whole lot of the time. Hope without help is hopeless. Help without hope is helpless. Hope without help is, is, is here you go. Uh, figure it out. Here's the goal. Just, just somehow get there all by yourself. Go on all the while. You watch him fall and fight and trip and, and fail, and you do nothing to lend a hand. Thank God he didn't treat us that way. Help without hope is I'm going to feed your belly but neglect your soul. What people need is hope and help. Love with skin on. That's why Jesus gave us both. He, he's given us the, the hope of heaven and the ever-present help of his Holy Spirit to guide us. And on top of that, he's given us the help of his family, his church. Come on, somebody. 
He's given us one another. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's gifted his church. He's empowered his church. He strengthens his church day by day by day. You know, I think about a few weeks back, so what if my heart broke for the thousands of kids in our city who who can't go to school this year? So what if I felt bad for them? So many inner city kids who, who don't have a conducive environment at home to learn. So what if I heard the, 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 the statistics from Columbus City Schools and, and Hilliard Schools and, and so many like them that, that lost, such, lost touch with such a large percentage of their students when they went to only online learning? Just lost touch. These, these kids just fell off the face of the earth. No contact, no checking in, no Zoom calls, no homework being done. Who cares? how we as a church felt in that moment as we began to realize that so many of these kids are not only falling behind already, but now they're falling more and more behind. Who cares how we may have felt when we realized and recognized, listen, a lot of these kids, they rely on the free lunch and the free breakfast that they get at school. Who cares how we felt in our heart? That's not mercy. Mercy is let's raise $300,000 to open 20 learning extension centers and and let's staff every extension center with a full-time paid leader and and get some tutors and interns and volunteers to show up and and let's bring some mental health services to these kids and, and give it to them for free and let's feed them and make sure their bellies are full and make sure their hearts are full and make sure they don't fall behind, not on our walk. That's mercy. And church, if your heart doesn't break every once in a while, your heart's not close enough to the heartbreak. Because your heart's not going to break for, for what it's not close to. You, you're never going to care about what you're not close to. It's why Jesus became flesh. I get frustrated when I see a lot of the churches insulated and isolated and, 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 and probably idle and The reason so many are idle is because it's hard to care about what we're not close to. Jesus became flesh. It's why my family and I will serve at the Dream Center. It's why I've been to our prisons. I've baptized men and women behind bars. I've stood in the prison yard face to face. I I heard the story of a 21-year-old young man who looked me in the eye and he said, Pastor Chad, I'm facing a life-term sentence, no possibility for parole you've been talking about in these messages every week how God has given us a purpose to live here on earth and I feel like Pastor Chad for the first time in my life I'm beginning to realize my God-given purpose it's why before ever we started building homes and development centers for kids in Central America before ever we started planting churches and supporting pastors in India throughout the Middle East around the world I was there our team was there To see the need, to feel the hurt. Maybe it's why the Bible says God is close to the brokenhearted. Maybe it's why Jesus said, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Because it's kind of hard to not care about what you're close to. And in this case, it's, it's hard to not care about what you're giving toward and what you're investing in. Jesus has given us hope and help. He's given us his Holy Spirit to be ever close and near to us day 
by day. It's why, listen, you'll you'll never care about what we're doing inside hundreds of prisons if you don't put yourself in that place. You'll never care about the suffering and the hurts of the people in your own city if you remain isolated inside the the comfort safe zone of your own personal safe space and until you see and feel the needs and the hurts that you've been called by God to satisfy, to meet, and to heal. Here's the hard one, number four. It means to do good even to your enemies. Now this one doesn't need a whole lot of commentary. I'm going to let the the scriptures speak for itself if that's okay. I just want you to hear the word of the Lord today. Because I can't make you do good to your enemy, and it's hard for me to do good to my enemies. <laughs> but here's what it says, Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son Jesus. Come on, somebody. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus models this so well on the cross as he's looking down at those who've literally beat him and tortured him, forced a crown of thorns upon his head, nailed him to a cross, spat on him, condemned him, betrayed him, and ridiculed him. And Jesus looks down at them and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's why the scripture says if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies. Do good even to them. and Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High God because he is kind to the ungrateful. And he's kind to the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful towards you. Church, we're going to land this thing right now. I want, to, I want to give you, as we close, the why. I've given you the what. Be merciful. Let me give you the why. Why, number one, is this. What's, what's my motivation for mercy? It is this, that God has been merciful towards me. God has been merciful towards me. That when I was dead to sin and bound and stuck in my own ways, When I was myself by nature an enemy of God, God chose not to condemn me, but to offer me a lifeline of mercy, help, and hope. Jesus not only became flesh to see what I see and to feel what I feel, but he went all the way to the cross for me. When he could have turned his back on me, he chose not to. When he could have rightfully allowed me to suffer the eternal consequence of my sin, he chose instead to take my sin upon himself so that my sin with him on that cross would be dealt with and covered and paid for once and for all. And he didn't have to, but he chose to. And we can do the same. We love because God first loved us. 
Jesus says, shouldn't you be merciful to others just as I have been merciful to you? It's a question with an obvious answer. Absolutely, yes, Jesus, we ought to be merciful toward others because you have been merciful toward me. But here's motivation number two. God is merciful towards me. You might be thinking, isn't that the same thing? Didn't you just say that? God has been. God is. Well, God has been and God is. It's not the same thing. Has been and is now. It's not the same thing. Because if you would consider how we think, think about how we think when it comes to those who've hurt us. You've hurt me, and I has been merciful towards you. Come on, somebody. I has been. But don't make me be merciful towards you ever again. I has been forgiving towards you. You hurt me once. I has been. We've gotten over it. I've let it go. I've given it to God. We've made amends. Just don't hurt me again because I has been once, but I don't know if I can be it again. I don't know. Two times, three times, Four times is why one of the disciples said to Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive somebody who sins against me? Jesus basically says, when you've lost count, you're not even close yet. Thank God he doesn't have a three strikes rule against us. Aren't you glad he didn't just die for one sin? Come on, somebody. But he died once and for all for all sins. Come on. He died once and for all for all my sin. And when my mercy cup doesn't run it over, it runneth out. I've got to remind myself that the mercy cup of God has never run out on me. And when I run out of mercy to give to those who've hurt me, maybe it's time that I spend just a little bit more time in his presence because I can't give what I've not first received from him. So thank you, Lord, for being merciful. Thank you, Lord, for being gracious and forgiving and for loving me. And thank you, Lord, for for not having a three strikes in your out rule. Would you help me to be more like you, to be like Jesus, to be merciful, to be blessed like you? Because church, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those who show mercy. James chapter 2, it says, the man who makes no allowances for others will find none made for him. Matthew 6, if you forgive other people their sin, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sin. It might sound impossible for you to live this out, but maybe this next verse describes you. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And Maybe you're watching right now and you're alive today in the flesh, but your spirit needs Jesus. And it's been hard for you to be merciful toward others. It's been hard for you to forgive others their sins because you've not yet received and experienced personally the forgiveness of Jesus. 
The Bible says we've all sinned. We all fall short. The wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So I want to give you an opportunity to pray with me right now. And as I pray with those of you who'd like to be forgiven, you, you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, maybe for the first time, maybe you're recommitting your life to him. I want to also challenge so much of the church. You've been forgiven. You are saved. But you've been idle. You've been indifferent towards the needs, the pain, the suffering that is surrounding you and me today and it's time to, to repent of your idleness. It's, it's time to repent of your lack of mercy. It doesn't matter how you feel in your heart. That's not mercy. It's what you do with your hands. It's, it's how you live your life. It's how you spend yourself on behalf of the cause of Christ for the sake of others. I'm going to call you to repentance right now. If you're idle, it's time to get unidle. It's time to Put the pedal to the metal. It's time to put some flesh on that faith of yours. Because what this world needs is not more sideline Christians. Right now what the world needs is the hands and feet of Jesus to show up. Come on, to do the hard work. To put your arms around somebody that's hurting. Not to point fingers and cast judgment and condemnation on somebody that thinks different than you, lives different than you, believes different than you. What the world needs is some hands and feet of Jesus. They need some grace and it needs some mercy. People need forgiveness. People need healing. People need help. People need hope. So as we pray, some of you need to repent of, of your idleness. Others right now, just say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of all the unrighteousness in my life. I give you all of me in Jesus' name. Make me merciful as you have been merciful toward me. I want to look like you. I want to be like you. In Jesus' name, come on. Everybody said amen. Come on, would you sing with us right now? Would you would you worship him right now?
Say 